Good morning to you and a greeting in the name of our risen Lord and Savior who is ascended, who is at the right hand of the Father, and who is coming back. But in the meantime, his spirit is living in our hearts. He has given us of his spirit. That was a very good portion of scripture to study this morning in Sunday school. The title of the message this morning is Preparing by Prayer and Fasting. Preparing by Prayer and Fasting. Now, we are preparing for an ordination, and Lord willing, that will be taking place in three weeks from this Sunday. We've encouraged church members to pray and fast as we prepare for this time. We're seeking God's will in the ordination of a deacon here at Dunmore East, and we want to know his will. We want to respond to his will. We want to obey his will. We want to accept his will. Furthermore, this morning, there are other things that are going on in our lives, things that are in our hearts, such as the uncertainty of of not knowing and waiting on answers from the Lord regarding things such as legal permission to live in a certain country or a friend who does not know the Lord and he's on our hearts. Maybe there's a decision to be made about a job offer or an opportunity of service or some major purchase. Perhaps it is on our hearts this morning a great weight of sadness and discouragement and difficulty because of some personal affliction. Preparing by prayer and fasting. I was stirred to preach on this subject this past week. Then the thought occurred to me, have I ever preached about fasting here at Dunmore East, and I I looked back in my notes, and sure enough, quite a few years ago, in the first year that I was here, I did preach a sermon on that, and so I read those notes, and I, I used some of the thoughts, but not nearly all of them for the sermon today. I thought, well, I'll, I'll preach this message anyway, because a lot of us weren't here four or five years ago, and The rest of us, even if we were here, we need to hear it again. Surely four or five years uh, is not too long in between a reminder about the importance of fasting. And it's good for me as well. The study was was a very good study in these last days for, for myself. I'm going to use the introductory scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And I said it's an introductory scripture, but it was already introduced this morning. I really appreciated the message, and thank you, Dave, for reading one of my text verses this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. I'll be reading some other scriptures this morning. I won't ask you to stand otherwise, but right now, if you're able, you're welcome to stand. And I'll read these several verses here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, 
but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Thank you. You can sit down. I read some of the verses around this scripture that I read this morning. I read from the beginning of chapter 9 through some, of verse, uh, some verses in chapter 10 as well. And I found it very interesting how Paul begins chapter 9 by reminding the Corinthians of his freedom in Christ. The freedom he has as a, as a, a preacher and a teacher to be like other people and do things that other people do, including the, the right and the pleasure to enjoy food. If you look back at verse 4, he asks this question, do we, not, do we have no right to eat and drink? Well, absolutely. Writing or eating and drinking is a right that we all have. It's something that God has given us for us to sustain life, plus to enjoy in a pleasurable way. He mentions food a few other times, including verse 9, where he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? So he talks about allowing the worker to eat. Food is important. That was his right. He lists it that way. Then in chapter 10, Paul begins by reminding the Corinthians of God's people in days gone by that had lost their focus and lost their way. And I'll read a few verses there, 3 to 6 of chapter 10. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them that rock was Christ but with most of them God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted so here were a people the people of God that God was taking well and good care of and he was leading them, providing them with physical sustenance. But did you see it there? They, they were also on their way. The children of Israel were being uh, provided for with spiritual food and spiritual drink. God was providing for them in a spiritual way. So we, have, we are people with a physical body, but we also have a spiritual person. And we can't separate those two things. We're together here on this earth. Uh, those two things are together. But God was providing for them spiritually and physically. And Paul just reminds them, in this example, what these people did is they began to lust for physical things, for food and other things, to the point where 
they lost their way and they, their focus was off of the spiritual that God had blessed them with, that God was giving to them. And the legacy, the sad legacy there is skeletons scattered in the wilderness. And Paul gives that as a warning that we shouldn't do that. Now coming back and just making a few comments, this is still the introduction, making a few comments about the verses that I read. Here we see some insights and actions of a man of God. Paul gives us a little glimpse of himself and what his own personal, I call it Paul's personal philosophy was. Paul understood that the pursuit of the gospel is a race just like the Olympic runners run in a race. He understood that it's important to be intentional about what we do in this gospel race. He says every step that he runs, he runs with certainty. He doesn't beat the air. He's not in it just to go through the motions or to react to life as it happens. He's living with an intention. Life is real for Paul, and he is engaging it with purpose. But in order to do that, he says he needs to discipline his body and bring it under subjection. Paul understands that though he is a spiritual person, he also has a physical body. This body has appetites, it has cravings, it has desires, just like your body and mine have. And some of those desires and cravings are good and needful. And some of them are good and needful, but in moderation. And as we know our, our physical bodies, there are things that we crave, that we tend to crave, that are not good for us and are actually harmful for us. But Paul is saying here, he's telling the Corinthians and us, that he's not going to let his physical body control his spirit, his spiritual being. He is not going to allow the temple of God to be controlled by itself. Listen to this translation. This is the New American Standard. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know, it's, it's doubtful that Paul ever heard the term sugar cravings or dopamine, but he knew the effects of not disciplining his body, what that would do. And he was so concerned about that. An easy, pampered life, the life that our body wants, is very unfavorable to the cause of the gospel. And this is all that Paul was about. The reward for him was the gospel. The goal for him was the gospel. And he says it over and over again that he did not want the gospel to be hindered. Paul was a man who was willing to go to great lengths for the sake of the gospel. Willing to give up what was legitimately rightful for him. Food, marriage, a salary. He was willing to endure the deprivation of those things for the sake of the gospel. Fasting. Do you fast? When was the last time you 
fasted. What, is, what does fasting mean to you and what does it do for you? Or why do you fast? I don't know that we'll have answers to all those questions this morning. I'd like to look at fasting, some examples of it in the Bible, some things that we can learn from it, from the Bible. Then I'll have a call to fasting at the end. Fasting is a physical discipline that has a spiritual reward. The basic meaning of fasting is it's the, the abstinence from food for a certain period of time. But fasting in itself is not necessarily a Christian exercise. Some people fast, abstain from food to make a social or a political statement. The Guinness Book of World Records still has the record in 1920 when nine men here in Ireland in County Court endured a hunger strike of 94 days, I believe, before they broke that strike. Some of the other men that were with them died before that time, but nine men survived. Some people fast because they want to cleanse their bodies or their minds or, or to lose weight. And we know that the, the, some churches have the tradition of having a set time for fasting, and we're in that period now of Lent, the 40 days just prior to Easter, when some give up things for Lent. I don't know if you've heard that in the shops, if you're working in the shops, um, not, not eating chocolate because it's Lent, or I'm giving up sugar. Some people giving, give up watching television and things like that for Lent. I think it's good to have some type of a, a plan for uh, fasting. I believe that even during Lent, if the motive is right, that God can bless that intentionality. But what does the Bible say about fasting? It's mentioned in the Bible somewhere between 50 and 70 times. It's not commanded in the New Testament. There is a reference in Leviticus 23, about verse 32 or so, where I believe it could mean that on the Day of Atonement, they were to fast in preparation for the Day of Atonement. It was commanded that they humble themselves, that they uh, abase themselves, and it's thought that that was actually a call to fast for a 24-hour period annually in preparation for the day and during the Day of Atonement. But otherwise it's not commanded at all in the Bible. There's no thou shalt fasts in the Bible. But there are many examples of fasting. People who fasted, such as Moses, Samuel, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Daniel, Esther, Jesus, Anna, Paul, John the Baptist. We also read of corporate fasts, where the, both in the Old Testament and the New, the people of God fasted. Now I'm going to turn to Matthew 17. This was going to be a trivia question, but I think I have already given away the answer. If you look at the reference, 
And I'll give the question after I read several verses. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. The question is, it's three times in the Bible where it mentions of people who fasted for 40 days. Who are those three people? Jesus is one. Moses is another one. And as you read the Bible, you can see that it's quite possible that he fasted twice for 40 days. And Elijah is the third one. So Moses, when he received the law, the first time and the second time he was on Sinai, he was there for 40 days. He did not eat or drink, I believe. Samuel didn't fast for 40 days, but he did fast. But Elijah, when he was fleeing from Jezebel, God comforted him and provided a meal for him. And Elijah ate that meal. And we read in 1 Kings 19, 7 and 8 that Elijah went in the strength of that meal for 40 days. Now here we have these two men appearing with Jesus. And in verse 5, there's a voice that comes out of the cloud that has overshadowed them. And the voice says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at the example of Jesus. And we're going to listen to his teaching on this subject. So would you please turn now to Matthew 4. I just found that really fascinating that the three representatives, the representative of the, the law, the representative of the prophets, and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, together there on the mountain, all three of them had fasted for 40 days. I think there's some significance there. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 of Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was, hung he was hungry. Now the tempter came to him. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, You are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you, you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you will fall down 
and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So there's some lessons to be learned, many, many lessons to be learned from this account. I will give just a few that I gleaned as I read it and observed some things about fasting. One of them is that when Jesus became flesh, he really took on flesh. His body functioned just like ours. Going without food for 40 days would take an extreme toll on a body. I have never fasted for 40 days. Have you? I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, at least not starting out. And afterwards, the Bible says he was hungry. Is that an understatement? I tend to think that he was hungry well before the end of the 40 days. I would have been. Fasting proves our humanity. And when we fast, we can think we're pretty strong. We can think we're pretty tough. We can think we're in control. But when we subject ourselves to this thing called fasting... We soon find out that we're not as strong as we think we are. We're pretty weak people, actually. Fasting proves our humanity. Yes, I would become hungry, too. Matthew doesn't give a lot of details about what Jesus was doing during those 40 days and nights. But he makes it really clear that the spiritual power of Jesus did not abate did not lessen at all during that time, even though his body was becoming weaker. I think Jesus' first statement in response to the devil is so profound, and it should be a motto for all of us who want to follow his example in fasting. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yes, indeed, he could have turned those stones into lovely loaves of sourdough bread at his spoken word. But he knew the value of the spiritual man. He knew the sustenance that comes from God. So fasting not only proves our humanity, but it also proves that God sustains us in a spiritual way. For for our physical food, we frequently thank God for our food, the good food that he provides for us, the physical food that he gives us. And we have some wonderful cooks here. You're just using the ingredients that God gave you to create something. God is the giver of our food. But sometimes we don't, we don't always think about it, at least I don't, that my spiritual man is being sustained by God for now and for eternity. I can't make it on my own. I won't survive without him. So when we fast, we're showing and we're proving that God does sustain us just like Jesus, his power 
did not lessen. In fact, we see strength here in the responses that Jesus gave. So thirdly, fasting brings greater clarity to the realities of the spirit world. Or we could say, fasting brings clarity to spiritual realities. And this second temptation that Satan brought to Jesus, I think he was actually suggesting that he kills himself. He was tempting him to suicide. He was intent on destroying Jesus. And he, was, he tempted him to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. And you can, see, you can think of it in a moment of discouragement. That would have been quite a temptation. But he, Satan made the mistake of quoting from Psalm 91, for one. And I, I suppose in our humanity, this could have been a real temptation. But Jesus knew Psalm 91. And it's that beautiful psalm that we often use. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it goes on and on. And it, it even says there in that beautiful psalm that he will protect you from the snare of the follower, from the deceiver. But Satan just cherry-picked a few verses out. Jesus knew what Satan was all about. The times that I have fasted, I've abstained from food, it has certainly made the spiritual realities more pronounced. Where the battle lines are, it, it's a lot clearer. Fourthly, fasting reveals spiritual power. In the third temptation that Satan brought to Jesus, Jesus did not only quote a scripture, but he gave a command. He said, away with you, Satan. And Satan left. Even for Jesus, Satan didn't stop after one temptation. He kept coming, he kept coming, kept coming. You familiar with that tactic? But Jesus was strong and faithful to the end, and he had the power, the spiritual power, to command the enemy to flee, and he did. And so fifthly, from this, I, I observed that the end of the fast also is a time of encouragement and comfort. Look at what happened when the devil left Jesus in verse 11. Angels came and ministered to him. What did they serve him? Did they bring a meal for him? I know that when I break a fast and when I eat after I have fasted, there's a renewed sense of my dependence on God for everything, for my spiritual food and for my physical food. And by the way, that physical food just tastes really, really good. It's just better, isn't it? The gift that God gives us of delicious food. And now, let's turn a few pages over to Matthew 6. I said that fasting is not commanded in the New Testament, but Jesus does take some time to teach about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is what we often call the Magna Carta of the Kingdom of God. This great charter 
for kingdom citizens delivered to us by none other than the king himself. And he takes some time to teach us about fasting in verses 16 through 18 of chapter 6. I'll read it. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Consider these three words, when you fast. It's not a command. It doesn't say you shall fast. But neither does it just suggest if you fast. It says when you fast. So I think Jesus expects that his followers from time to time will fast. There's very little teaching in the Bible about how to fast. But in these few verses, though it's few words, there's a lot contained here. I'll give you some of my observations. One of them is that fasting and prayer are, fasting accompanies prayer. In the order of teaching here, Jesus has just been teaching his disciples about how to pray. And we often call it the Lord's Prayer, and we pray it very faithfully here in this church. I think we can also consider it to be the disciples' prayer. It's the model prayer. Praying and fasting go together. Our times of fasting should be filled with prayer. Maybe especially at the, at the very moments when we would normally be eating a meal and we're, we're breaking from that meal, we're not eating that meal, during that time would be a, a very good time to just slip away somewhere, open the word of God, commune with God, pray to God, Receive your spiritual sustenance from him. Another thing about fasting, as it accompanies prayer, is this. We pray intercessory prayers, and we pray for, for specific things that are dear to our hearts and important to us. Perhaps we're, we're praying for a person who is struggling or who needs the Lord. How long, how long can you pray for someone? I know in, in my prayers often I mention a, a person and then I go on and pray for something else or somebody else. Can we pray for someone for 30 seconds or two minutes or maybe five minutes? I, I suppose I've prayed for people longer than that at one go. But often we pray for someone and then we, we move on and we finish our prayer and then we go about with our day. But when I found that when I'm fasting for a specific need or for a specific person, my body will tend to remind me, oh, you're hungry. Well, why am I hungry? Well, I'm fasting. Why are you fasting? I'm fasting about this need or this person. And it's again a reminder. It's a reminder again to pray for that person more than once throughout the day. Jesus also teaches the course here in how not to fast. He talks about the hypocritical Pharisees here who fast with a sad countenance 
They intentionally made their face look gloomy. I'm glad I see joy on your faces this morning. I think Christians, I believe Christians need to be the most joyful looking people. And how would you as a, as a believer or as a, even as a religious person try to appear to men to be fasting by contorting your face to look sad or to, look, uh, not, to not look joyful? That would be hard to do. We need to be the most joyful appearing people in the world because we have Christ living in our hearts. They disfigured their faces, Jesus said. Maybe they rubbed ashes over them or in some ways made it obvious that they were fasting. And it's also thought that, like the other story about the Pharisee that fasted twice in the week, the fasting days, those two days of fasting would coincide with the the market days in the city where people would come to the markets and there would be a lot of people, a lot of public people noticing, oh, that person's fasting. Wow. No, Jesus says, do not fast so men notice you. Fasting, the purpose of it is not to be seen by men. It's not to appear to be more spiritual than my brother or my sister. It's not to somehow have greater power because I fast than my brother or my sister because perhaps they don't fast quite as much as I do. That's not the motive of fasting. Jesus teaches us how to fast. Anoint your head. Wash your face. Continue your routine. Continue your lifestyle. Yes, in times of more prolonged fasting, we need to order our lifestyle around our fasting. I've learned the hard way that planning strenuous physical activities and fasting don't really go together very well. But don't fast so men notice you. Like Jesus says, fast so your Father in heaven sees you. Jesus talks about the secret place. There's, there's a sense of privacy about this exercise. The secret place that we have, that all of us as believers have, needs to be a precious place, a place of communion, a place of fellowshipping with God. A place where a mere mortal like you and me get to be with our Creator. There's a big difference between fasting to be seen, though, or to be seen fasting. I don't think we should not tell people that we're fasting, and I appreciate it here in this congregation. um, We have accountability groups, and sometimes in our little accountability group, a brother will say, I'm fasting today. They'll send a text or something like that. Do you want to join? That's appropriate. I think that's a blessing. We can encourage each other, and we can fast together and pray together. there's a lot of Bible examples both in the Old Testament and the New for motives for fasting, good motives like the fast of repentance the fast of mourning the fast of intercession the fast that tests our allegiance the fast of increased faith and there's a story behind each one of those that I just gave 
But I want to draw your attention to one fast. And that's the fast that we find in Acts 13. You may turn there. Acts 13, 1 to 3. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. I call this the fast of seeking God's will. God was working here in this church at Antioch. And we see five faithful men recorded, men who God was using there in this church for his glory, prophets and teachers. But God needed two of them to serve in a different role, in a different capacity. And it seems as we read this that the church also sensed that. And it says they fasted about it. And then we see the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that we talked about this morning. Telling them there's two brothers that I'm calling for this work. The church heard and obeyed. But again, before they sent them, they once more fasted and prayed. So this didn't just happen in a few minutes' time, this whole process. I can see it taking several days or weeks. They were fasting and praying. And in that manner, they sent them away. Now, I remember times in my life of waiting, waiting for different things. And I can sort of imagine putting myself in Paul's shoes or in uh, Simeon's shoes and thinking, okay, will it be me or will it be Barnabas or will it be Manian? Seeking God's will by prayer and fasting is a good exercise as we prepare to accept and embrace God's will when it is revealed. In the matter that is at hand, that is similar to the, what the church at Antioch was experiencing, but in every other area of life where we have need. We prove the words of Jesus true that we don't live by bread alone but by every living word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we know, as we seek God's will, that God will lead, God will direct. No matter what his will is for my life, he will sustain us. You see, in our small fellowship here, in a few weeks, at least one person's life will be greatly changed responsibilities will be quite a bit different. It's God's will. 
We will wait upon God. We'll seek his will. And so now I'm encouraging us as a congregation to a day that we set aside for prayer and fasting. And I'm going to suggest this day, uh, I'll give you the date. It's this coming Thursday, the 29th of February. And I chose this date because it's kind of in the middle of the week. Now I know that there's a fellowship meal on Wednesday evening, and I realize that I'm pretty sure there's a school hot lunch on Thursday for lunch, so maybe that wasn't the best choice of dates. But I thought of the 29th of February. It's a day that, that God has given us this year that we don't usually get uh, three years out of four. It's an extra day, and the Irish people have a tradition it started here in Ireland. You can read about that tradition. It has to do with proposals and bachelors. I'd say let's not focus on that on leap year day. I make another proposition that we focus on seeking God's face in prayer and in fasting as a, as a body of believers. Now, I recognize that for some of us that means perhaps a 24-hour fast. For some, you may only be able to, because of health reasons, to miss a meal or maybe even part of a meal. Maybe you would like to have a longer fast, extending it into Friday. We're not holding you. This is totally voluntary. If you choose not to fast, you're welcome to be in prayer. But I would invite you to consider fasting and praying for our church, the Lord's church, for the future of this congregation, the future of those who are called to lead and administrate, for God to give us opportunities to build his kingdom here, for freedom to serve him, For God to lead us to people who need him. So I invite you to do that this, this week. Don't limit it to just one day. But as the Lord leads you, may fasting and prayer be a part of your Christian life experience. You will find it to be rewarding.